Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians, the passage we're going to start at, and then we'll jump around to some other, uh, some other things this morning. But uh, before we uh, get started, I want to tell you what happened the other day. Uh, Chris King and Ed, I don't know what Ed's last name is. What's your last name, Ed? And Ed and Joey and I. And uh, just to make sure you know which king it is, it's Chris King. It's not uh, Bruce, bus driver, a van driver king. So you don't, don't get those guys confused. I was in uh, the trip to Germany. And uh, we went uh, to this place. I don't know where we have no idea where we were. All I know is that. Bruce was driving the van, and I was in the back, and he was going the wrong way down this very narrow alley, and I was in the back screaming, let me out, let me out, and he kept on driving, so I still hold a grudge against, uh, against him for, uh, for that. So anyhow, Chris is the other king, not the bus driver, van driver king. We were playing golf uh, the other day, and uh, previous to golf, uh, Joey had to tell a story to Chris and to uh, Ed about uh, what happened whenever he was uh, in high school. I would, uh, he went to a Christian school, and so from uh, a couple times a year, I would have the opportunity to go to the Christian school, and I would uh, preach in chapel at the Christian school. And so I always was my habit, whenever I preached at the Christian school, I would say, uh, how many of you know my children who... Uh, attend a school, and I'd say, uh, well, if you haven't met them yet, I'll just have my kids stand up. So Joey and John and Julie or, you know, whoever it was, they would stand up in chapel. And I realized this is, you know, a school of probably had 30 or 40 kids in the, in the, uh, in the school, so everybody knew everybody, you know, we're just having fun, and so I'd have them stand up. And then, so <clears throat> after that, I would say, now, how many of you know the other kids from our church that uh, attend this school? And I'd say, well, we need to have them stand up too so that, you know, you know who they are and they're associated with, uh, they're associated with me. And so uh, Joey told this story to uh, Ed and to Chris on uh, the other day. And so whenever uh, Ed and I are in the van and we're, uh, we're driving away, he said, uh, boy, Ed says, I heard that story over and over and over again. And I said, well, you know, you get a good story. You like to, uh, you like to tell it. But uh, as Ed and I were talking, we were thinking, well, you know, maybe there's, you know, it's like a hidden agenda behind that, that Joey really did like the opportunity to, you know, to be associated with me and to stand up so everybody recognized uh, who he is. So how many of you here have never met my son, Joey? <laughs> Joey, go ahead and stand up there so everybody can, uh, everybody can see you. Okay, we got that out of the way. You all know who he is. This morning, I'd like to uh, share a message that uh, I have been uh, working on based upon a, an experience that I, uh, that I had uh, a few weeks ago. 
we are, as Joey mentioned, we are on our way to uh, Kansas to be the interim pastor of a church in Kansas. The name of it is Wheatland Baptist Church, and it's in McPherson, Kansas. It's sort of on the uh, central western side of the state of Kansas. Uh, hopefully you're more familiar with Kansas than I am, and you have some idea where this is. If you go to Wichita and go north, you'll run right into uh, to this, uh, this town of McPherson. Uh, there's a man who started a church there. His name is uh, Terry Post. He started the church there in 1984, and he has been the pastor up until, uh, up until uh, now. In fact, he's still there, and uh, he had some health issues, and, and he's having some struggles, so he needs to, uh, to retire from the church. And so we're going there to uh, be the interim pastor and help them in looking for a, uh, looking for a new pastor. And, and we'd certainly appreciate your, uh, your prayers for us as we go there. Uh, our first Sunday is going to be August 21st, and the plan is to stay there until they, uh, until they get a full-time pastor. So... Uh, also, if you know somebody who would be a good pastor, uh, let us know that too. So just, you know, throw in a little advertisement there. So we uh, went there and we met with the folks and had opportunity to preach and did question and answer things and all the things that you normally do whenever you're candidating at a, at a church. And so uh, after it was all over... Uh, we came home and they had some meetings and then they voted on whether they wanted us to come and to be the interim. And so <clears throat> in that meantime, those two weeks between uh, when we were there and wherever they voted for us to, uh, to come, one of the deacons called me on the, on the phone and he said, uh, Pastor Joe, he said, I'd like to uh, chat with you for a little bit if you don't mind. I said, sure, that would be, that would be great. And uh, so we chatted about some different things. And then he said to me, he said, I'd like, you to, I'd like to share my testimony with you if I could. And I said, well, that would be great. I said, I'd like to hear people's testimonies, how they came to know Christ, you know, what God's doing in their life, you know, those kinds of things. And, and so he began to, to share his testimony with me. And in his testimony, he began with, uh, you know, being a, a young child. And he grew up in a, uh, a Bible-believing church that, uh, you know, preached the gospel. And, and as a young person, he, uh, he prayed a prayer uh, to be saved. And he said, uh, you know, I, th- I thought that I was saved at a, at a very, young, uh, very young age, and I grew up in the, in the church and, and did the things that, uh, you know, people in the church do and, uh, you know, was, uh, always thought that I was a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, but then I moved from Kansas to, uh, to Florida for some reason, I don't know, probably a job or something like that. But he said, I was living in, uh, in Florida for a while, and he said, I got involved in things that I certainly shouldn't have, uh, have gotten involved in. And, and he said, I began to, uh, you know, live a lifestyle that uh, certainly the folks back at the church in Kansas that, that I had been a part of wouldn't uh, think very to be acceptable and, and certainly wasn't right in the, eyes of, uh, in the eyes of God. And he said, I realized that uh, I began to, you know, study. I began to go to a, a, another church. And he said, I began to, to realize that, you know, that I was far from God. He said, I realized that I was, I was lost. And he said, so I got saved. And he said, boy, when I got saved at, uh, you know, as an adult, he said, boy, God just changed my life around. You know, just gave me a new purpose. He gave me a new direction. He gave me a, 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 a desire to, uh, to live for him. He gave me a, a passion for the, for the things of God. And he said, life just turned me right around. And then he uh, said to me, he said, uh, would you mind sharing your testimony with, uh, uh, with, with me? I said, no. And so I went through and I shared my testimony, how I got saved. And, and so he asked me this interesting question. He said, so 
you, uh, you had an experience where God changed your life around. And I said, yeah, I certainly did. I said it was many years ago, 40-some 40 uh, years ago, but, you know, the Lord Jesus, he turned my life around whenever I received him as my Savior, and, and he made me a, a new creature. And, and as I'm thinking about uh, that whole experience there, I thought to myself, you know, there are probably lots of people in this world, lots of people in the church of Jesus Christ as we know it, that are, you know, sort of looking at a, uh, at a, maybe a prayer that they prayed whenever they were a young person or, uh, you know, something that uh, they had done or maybe walked down an aisle, and, and that's the thing that they're trusting in for their, for their salvation, just like this, this deacon who was at this, uh, this church. And so this morning what I'd like to talk about is, you know, what is it that you're trusting in for your salvation? Now, obviously, we would all say, well, we're trusting in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, but, you know, what is it, uh, you know, how do you have that assurance of your salvation. So let's begin by uh, <clears throat> thinking about something. Whenever uh, God does something, God leaves evidence of his work. When God something does something, he leaves evidence in his, of his work in just about every situation. You know, just, just think about the, the things that God did. You know, whenever God created, you know, he did a, a, a tremendous uh, work in creating the world and creating us as individuals. You think about the, the flood and all the, the things that took place whenever the uh, flood was here on this, uh, this earth and the, and the consequences that are still part of the earth today because of the flood that uh, took place. You think about the, you know, the Tower of Babel and whenever God changed all of the different languages. And I don't know about you, but I, I still suffer for that because there's lots of people that I have no idea what they're saying or, or anything like, uh, like that. And, and again, a uh, work of, uh, of God. You think of uh, uh, the choosing of Abraham to be his uh, chosen people and, and how he has cared for them and directed them and provided for them and, and uh, had his hand upon them all through these, uh, uh, through these years. And, and then you think about the starting of the church of Jesus Christ and what a remarkable work that has been going on for the last uh, 2,000 years about this, you know, this wonderful thing that we are a part of that we enjoy called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, when God does something, God has this, uh, you know, he is an evidence of it. There's a, an impact to it. It's not just, uh, you know, God sneaks up behind and, and uh, does things in, in secret, which I'm sure he probably does and certainly has the capabilities of doing. But whenever God does something, there's lasting results from the work that God does. And one of the things that God does whenever, uh, or we see, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ saves us, what does he do? So you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and one of the very familiar verses that we, that we all know, and we all think about, and we all share with other peoples is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse uh, <clears throat> 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, okay? It's not like he took that old house and he flipped it 
but he has made you a new house. He's made you a, a new creature. He has made you a new creation. He has given you a new ability of your soul and a new ability of your mind and a new passion of your heart because the Lord Jesus Christ came in and he has made you something new, something different, something you know totally uh, uh, <clears throat> dissected from the, what you were in the past. How you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but now you're light in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He has made this, uh, you know, made this new person, this new creature of you. He says, uh, the rest of the verse there. He says, the old is passed away; behold, the new has come. Okay, so the old man is gone. Now, not that we have to learn everything and renew everything. We understand the, you know, the dynamics of, you know, the things that we have learned and grown up with. But we're now we're new creatures. We're new people. There's a, a change that has taken place in, in your life and a change that has taken place in my life whenever we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I can think back, you know, to, to what it was like previous to my salvation and the things that I was involved in and the way I thought and the, the attitudes that I had and, and just the way that I looked at things. And I remember whenever uh, I was going to a, a Bible study, whenever my wife and I had first gotten married, we had this Bible study at the church that we were going to. And I remember <clears throat> hearing the gospel. And I had heard the gospel whenever I was a, a little child in a CEF club. I heard, heard the gospel whenever I was a teenager in a thing called Teenage Christians. And I'd never responded to the gospel, but I knew the gospel, you know. And if somebody would say to me, you know, how do you get saved? I would say to them, well, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. But that never affected me because I had never uh, acted upon that, uh, that uh, uh, knowledge that I had about what salvation was until we were at this, uh, we were at this Bible study and we were, we were understanding these, uh, these concepts about what salvation was and, and opening up the Bible and, and tearing apart John 3.16 and, and understanding that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And we came to, uh, you know, I, and I recognized that if I were going to put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if I were going to accept him as my Savior, that things were going to change. I wasn't going to be the same person anymore, that, you know, that, that God was going to do something in my life if I was going to respond to that, uh, you know, to that gospel message. And, and I knew that, and I, and I would put that off, and I'd say to myself, well, you know, if I, if I do this, if I receive the Lord Jesus, then I'm never going to be able to smoke another cigarette again. And I wasn't happy about that. I like smoking cigarettes. And I knew that there was a, a change that was going to take place, in my, uh, take place in my life if I made this decision, if I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. I just knew all of those, uh, those things. But still, there was the, the, the compulsion, that the conviction of the Spirit of God in my life that this is what I need to do if I'm going to go to heaven. And so we had some is issues with the birth of our oldest uh, child, our oldest daughter. And at that point in time, I realized that, you know, life and death were that far away. And if I didn't put my faith and trust in Jesus, that I, if I were to die, I was, I was on my way to hell. There wasn't any doubt in my mind whatsoever. And so I put my faith and trust in Christ, and he saved me, made me a new creature. And so I look at this verse and say, boy, I, I realize the, uh, the power of that, uh, that verse. I realize the power of that conversion. I realize what a new creature is because I knew what the old creature was like. I knew how I lived before, and I knew the changes that God made in my life. And I look back at that now and say, "Woo, glory, hallelujah. Isn't it great to have that new salvation, have that new life in the Lord Jesus Christ? So... 
Let's go on. Acts chapter uh, 16. In Acts chapter 16, I want us to see that in the scriptures, this is the kind of thing that happened. Whenever the Lord Jesus came into somebody's heart, they come into somebody's life, they come in and to be a part of the uh, making them a, a new creature in him, that God changes them. This, uh, you know, this change is evident by what takes place in people's lives, okay? So Acts chapter 16, and you're very familiar with the passage of Scripture, I'm sure. In Acts chapter 16 and verse uh, 31, it says this. Uh, this is a story about uh, where Paul was in, uh, uh, was in prison, and uh, they were singing praises and all of those, uh, those kinds of things. God brought the earthquake, and, and uh, you know, the, the bands came off of Paul and Silas, and they're ready to, uh, uh, they could escape if they wanted to. And, and the, the uh, jailer comes running in, and, uh, you know, Paul calls the jailer in and says, you know, don't, don't hurt yourself. He was going to kill himself. And this verse 31, it says, and they said... Uh, Let's go back. Verse 30 says, Then he brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He asked them the question, What what do I have to do to have this this life, this this conversion, this salvation, this relationship with God? Whatever it is that you have, what must I do to, to have this? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved in your household. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Whenever you think about believing, there are different levels, I guess you would call, of, of belief, okay? Whenever I was growing up, I had a belief in, in God. I had a belief in salvation. If somebody were to say, uh, you know, that uh, uh, God didn't create the heavens and the earth, they, we all evolved, I would say, you know, that's, that's crazy. In my unsaved state, I'd say, that's silly. You know, we all know, everybody knows that God created the heaven and earth. So I had a belief in God and, and the foundations of the things of God, but I'd never put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as my, as my personal Savior until I was in my, uh, in my 20s. And I like to use this definition of faith. Faith is the assurance and conviction that what God said is true, okay? We're assured, we're convicted that what God said is true, and it's acted upon by the believer, okay? Assurance and conviction of what God said is true, Okay? But it's not just enough to to have a knowledge of what God said. There needs to be a response. And I want us to see here in Acts chapter 16 the response that the Philippian jailer had. He says in verse uh, uh, 31, he says, What must I do to be saved? Uh, They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in your household. And he says, And they spoke the word of the Lord unto him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family, okay? You know, it wasn't like the, the, the Philippian jailer says, well, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's nice to, you know, to be saved and, and, to, and to believe on the Lord Jesus. And, and, you know, maybe I'll think about going to church next Sunday. And, and maybe, uh, uh, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll find a Bible and I'll start to read a little bit. No, what did he do? He took these guys that were in jail that he had the responsibility of keeping an eye on, and they was going to be great consequences or dire consequences to him if they ever escaped. He took them out of the jail. He'd take them where? He took them home. Okay, can you imagine if you worked in a prison and you said to your wife, honey, get some, get some extra things together for supper because I'm bringing some of the inmates home for supper tonight. 
Not only that, we're all going to get baptized too. And not only that, we're going to, you know, we're going to fix up their wounds and take care of them. And honey says to you, what? Don't bother. You know, you're not bringing those kind of people home here. You're not going to do those kind of things. But he was convicted. He was, he was, he had uh, convinced over the fact that, you know, that, that this message, this gospel message that he heard in this prison was real and it worked in his life and God changed him. And so he began to act upon this change that was taking place in his life. Salvation does that. It changes us, makes us new creatures, and, and we live in a different way because God has, has stepped into our lives and he has changed us. He's made us these new creatures. And that's what took place in the Philippian jailer's life. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, uh, probably the most notable conversion experience that we see in the, in the Scripture where the Apostle Paul got saved, okay? And I want us to understand here when the Apostle Paul got saved how powerful this, uh, this was. The Apostle Paul, <clears throat> known as Saul then, so I'm going to say Paul even though it says Saul in the Bible because we know that his name was changed. It says, but Saul was breathing threatenings, murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the breathing threatenings and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if they found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Okay? Now think about this for just a second. This guy was not just a, a fellow who was, uh, you know, very strong in his religious beliefs, that you shouldn't be a, a, a Christian, that you should be uh, Jewish in your, uh, in your faith. He was adamant. He had a passion. You know, he was breathing murders and, and threatenings against the people that were part of the, uh, that were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, give us some, uh, you know, some legal documents so if we find anybody like this, we can bound them and we can bring them back to Jerusalem for persecution. You know, he was, you know, he was powerful. He was adamant in what he wanted to, uh, what he wanted to do. And what happens to him? Let's read. It says in uh, verse 4, Now as he went on the way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven rose around him, shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. Okay? What's taking place here? He says, you know, the, the Lord Jesus, you know, shone as a great light to him and began to talk to him and, uh, and said to him, you know, why are you persecuting me, Paul? He said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm the, I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the, the one you're, you're, you're breathing these threatenings. I'm the one that you're taking part of my, my life and my family and, and bound back to Jerusalem again. You know, you're, you're totally against me. You're working against me. And notice what happens to at the end of the statement here, at the end of this uh, passage that we just read, it says, uh, verse number six, it says, but rise and enter the city and it will be told you what to do. Uh, the King James translates it a little bit differently. The King James says, it, he says, uh, what you must do. What you must do. Now think about that for a second. Whenever you, got, uh, whenever you got saved, imagine, you know, somebody talked to you about the gospel and you put your faith in, in Jesus and they said, now this is what you must do. Now our American culture says what? Who are you to tell me what to do? 
I'll decide whether I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. But that's not what Jesus did whenever he was speaking to, uh, to Saul. He says, Saul, this is what you need to do. You go into this town and we'll relate to you what's going to take place in your, in your life. And if you remember what, uh, we're not going to go through the rest of the passage, but if you remember that God said what? You know, there's going to be persecutions, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be trials in your life because you have put your faith in me, because you have received me as your Savior, because I have this great work for you to do. And what do we see about the Apostle Paul? Well, here was the Apostle Paul. He was this man who was going to, who was persecuting Christians and, and uh, you know, going to murder them and torture them and do all those kind of things. He turned into what? He was one who was preaching the gospel message, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And all these wonderful truths that, that we get out of the book of uh, Paul's writings in the New Testament. Why? Because he was saved. God changed his life. He was a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Jump over, if you would, to the book of First uh, Peter. In First Peter chapter uh, <clears throat> chapter two, there's a little verse there that just gives us a, a synopsis of of what takes place whenever a, a person receives the Lord Jesus as their as their Savior. First Peter chapter two, and I'd like to just look at one verse, verse nine. First Peter 2.9 says this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Okay? Now, if you're reading Ephesians, it talks about how we're what? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We have, uh, you know, we're separated from God. We're alienated from the life of God. But here he says what? He says, this is what you are now. He says, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people of his own uh, possession that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay? When a person receives the Lord Jesus, what happens? He calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because now you're a child of the king. Now you've been adopted into the family of God. Now you've been born again. All of these wonderful things that take place when a person puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They turn from their, their wickedness. They turn from their sin. They repent under the conviction of the Spirit of God and turn to God. And you call out to God and say, God, save my soul. And I don't know how you talk to God and just exactly what you said to him or, or didn't say to him. But you're, you're calling out to God and say, God, I want that new life. I want that, that salvation that only you can offer. I can't lift myself up by my bootstraps. Make me a, a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know the wonderful thing is that now, those of us who have gotten saved when we were adults, we can look back to that day and say, whew, I remember. I remember what it was like in the olden days. And I don't ever want to go back. I don't ever want to have a part of that. I don't want to ever indulge and, you know, live that kind of life again because now I know what it's like to have this new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going back. How many of you have a day you look back at like that? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's a, a wonderful experience to be able to look back at that and say, wow, God changed my life. And it's all based upon what? Our faith. We put our faith, assurance and conviction of what God said is true, and we acted upon it. We tr- called out to God for salvation. Now, 
What about the young folks that trust Jesus as their Savior when they're three years old, four years old, five years old, six years old, seven years old? What about, you know, what about those people? And I'm sure there's some of those people that are seated right in this, right in this room. You can't look back and say, you know, this is, this is the way life was for me, and, and God changed everything around because you don't remember what it was like before you got saved. You don't look back at those kinds, of, uh, those kinds of things and say, wow, I can see that God delivered me out of this. You don't have that, you know, that pre-salvation. Now, one of the obvious ways that we could uh, solve this problem is to say, well, let's not let anybody get saved until they're at least 21, right? We could do that. Say, you know, no evangelism for kids, no training kids and as uh, children, uh, uh, no raising them in the things of God. We're just going to keep them outside the church until they turn 21. That way they're going to have some bad life experiences so they can, uh, you know, they can be changed and they can recognize that. Now, you all know that's a dumb idea, right? God doesn't want that to happen. What's, what's God say? God says, train up a child in the way he should go. Jesus said, you know, don't, don't, don't forsake allowing the little ones to come unto uh, to me. Uh, fathers, uh, you know, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, God wants us to take our children and, 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 and give them the gospel message as, as early as they can possibly understand it so they can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But what is it that a person who has gotten saved at a young age like that what is it that they have to look at as an evidence of their salvation? What do they have to look at and say, well, how do I know that I'm saved? You know, I hear these people, you know, like, uh, you, know, like you standing up there and, and talking about what it was like before and what it's like after. What do I, you know, I don't have anything like that to look at. What, you know, what, what do I do? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have an idea. There's an uh, interesting statement that's made four times in the Bible. It's mentioned in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. It's mentioned in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. It's mentioned in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, and it's also stated in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 18, verse 38. And it says this, it says, the just shall live by faith. The person who is justified, the person who is righteous before God, they live by faith. Now, again, what was our definition of faith? Faith was an assurance and conviction that what God said is true, and it's acted upon. Just like the Philippian jailer. You know, he believed that gospel message. He believed the words that Paul shared with him. And what did he do? He put his faith and trust in Jesus. You know, whenever God spoke to the apostle Paul and uh, what happened to him, he believed God and, and he did what God wanted him to do. And it's the same thing was true with you and I. Now, let's think about this for a second. This idea of living by faith or walking by faith what does that mean? What does it mean when somebody says, you know, do, do you walk by faith? Or you as a Christian, you should walk by faith. Well, one of the things that happened to me was uh, after we had left uh, Bible college in Arkansas, where I didn't make very much money because I didn't work very much because I was going to school, we came back to uh, Pennsylvania and we were looking for a, a church to pastor there. And uh, I was working at a, a factory and uh, I got laid off from the factory. And so uh, 
I was telling this person a story about what happened that we got laid off from the factory and, and uh, we only got $50 a week unemployment. Now we had uh, three kids and uh, you know my wife and I and $50 a week even back in the 80s didn't go very far. Okay, And so this man said to me, he said, wow, you guys really had to live by faith then, didn't you? And it was like, Living by faith is just financially when you're strapped that you need to live by faith that God is going to to take care of you, which, you know, obviously is true, but there's so much more to living by faith than just our finances. Living by faith is something that that every one of us ought to do. Well, let's, let's have a little fun with it. How many of you are living by faith right now? Raise your hand nice and high so we can see the people that aren't. Okay? You got a picture of the people that didn't raise their hand? What does it mean to, to live by faith? What are we talking about when we're talking about living by faith? Well, the idea of living by faith is just like, you know, this idea of faith that we talked about, that we believe what God's Word said is true. Okay? And if I'm going to live by faith... That means I'm going to take what the Word of God says, this truth in the Word of God, and I'm going to put it into practice in my day-to-day life, okay? Now, how many of you like to have quizzes? Nobody likes quizzes. Well, I'm going to give you one anyhow, whether you like it or not. How about that? Here's the first one. If you're living by faith, then you should be doing what? You should be rejoicing in the Lord, right? Because the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Now, I know that Mike probably doesn't want me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyhow. He was telling us in Sunday school this morning that sometimes whenever he looks out on the crowd here, uh, he sees people that just aren't rejoicing in their singing. And I thought, well, probably because they're sitting beside somebody who's not a very good singer and, you know, they're ruining his, you know, singing in his ear. But the idea is that, you know, sometimes we, we come to church and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like we're rejoicing in the Lord. And, and church isn't just a place that we rejoice in the Lord, but he says rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always, right? That that should be, the, you know, a person who's living by faith is somebody who is rejoicing in the Lord. Let's go on to the, the next question on the quiz. Turn over, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. There are several things, uh, several things here, so I want us to, uh, to look at it. Ephesians, chapter 4, and verse 32, okay? We can look at our lives, and we can say, am I living by faith because I am, notice what verse uh, 32 says, be kind one to another. Are you kind to people? Is kindness a, a characteristic or an attribute that, that you have in your life that, you know, when people think about you, they think about, wow, what a nice, kind person they are. Forgiving, excuse me, tender-hearted. Do you have a tender heart for people? Forgiving one another. Is forgiveness a characteristic of your, of your life? If you're living by faith, then you're seeking to do that. 
You're seeking to be forgiving in, in, in situations. You're, you're seeking to be tender-hearted. You're seeking to be, to be kind to one another. Uh, over in 1 John, it says that we are to love one another. Let me put you on the spot. Do you love everybody in this room? Well, Pastor Joe, you don't know the people in this room. You don't know how they act. You don't know how they have been treating me. Here's my favorite one. Men, are you loving your wives? See, that's the idea of living by faith, because what's the Word of God say? He says, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. And if you're not doing that, then you, then you say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm not living by faith. I'm not, I'm not living the way God wants me to do. You know, these aren't just, you know, rules and regulations that God wants us to keep. He says, you know, living by faith is you're, you're, you're recognizing that, that I have the best plan, I have the best program, I have the best ideas for the way you should live your life. You need to implement these things. Here's my second best one, my second favorite. Wives, you submit yourself to your husband Oh, man, that's a low blow. You know, why, why are you talking? We don't use that submit idea anymore. You know, that's, that's horrible. Why would you even say something? Well, the Bible says it, so I guess I can say it too. You submit yourself to your, your husband? Why? Because he's such a great guy? No, because God said that's the best plan. That's the best program. I mean, I hope you think he's the best guy, but, you know, he may not be. Of course, you already know that. I understand. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Oh, I think I put the uh, wrong verse down there. Hold on just one second. 4.15, not 5.15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in every way unto him who is the head of unto Christ. You speak the truth in love or you just speak the truth? Again, you get the picture here, right? The idea is that whenever we, we look at our ourselves and we gotten saved at just a, a young age, we can look at ourselves and say, you know, that's me. I don't have everything down pat, but I believe what God said is true. I believe the scriptures. And I don't think that there's a, a saved person who would say, excuse me, an unsaved person, a saved person would say, I don't, I don't believe the Bible. The saved person would say, yes, I believe what God said is true, and, and I believe that's God's best plan, and I believe that's God's best program, and I believe that that's what God wants me to know and understand and do, and, and he has this perfect will and this perfect plan in my life, and it's right here in this book, and all I need to do is, is put it into practice. All I need to do is live that, that program, live that plan out, and be the man or woman of God that God wants me to, to be. And so for those of us that had gotten saved at a young age, we can look at ourselves and say, yeah, I believe the Word of God. I'm seeking to put the Word of God in my life so that I can be changed in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because unsaved people don't have a desire for spiritual things. Unsaved people don't have a desire to live by faith. Now, let's jump over, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. That was all by way of introduction. This is the sermon part now. Do I sound like my son whenever I said that? <clears throat> he may have stolen that line from me. I'm not sure. Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 16 and 17. And this is the passage of Scripture that we talked about where it says, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Okay? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this wonderful, glorious gospel message that God loved us so much that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come down to this earth to die on that wretched cross to shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. And that he, on the third day, rose again from the dead and went to sit on the right hand of God. And whoever puts their faith and trust, whoever believes in that wonderful, glorious message of the gospel has everlasting life. That person who has recognized their, their sinfulness, and as Joey said at the beginning of, the, uh, of the, the service, you know, we all recognize our sinfulness. We all we recognize our wickedness. We all recognize the fact that we're, we're lost and we have these struggles and we're, we're far away from God. But we turn away from that sinfulness and we say, God save me. Book of Romans later on in chapter 10, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, God, save me. And that's what he's saying. He said, I'm not ashamed of that gospel message. And for all of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're not ashamed of that message either, are we? We love that message. We're, we're excited about that message. We want to we give that message to other people because it's a, a glorious message that can change people's lives. It can change us. It can change anyone. And so Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. This gospel message can save the Jews. This gospel message can save the Gentiles. This gospel message can save anyone. Doesn't matter about your background. Doesn't matter about your nationality. Doesn't matter about the color of your skin. Doesn't matter what things you have done. This glorious gospel message can save you. I'm not ashamed of it. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In this message, God's righteous standard God's plan of salvation is revealed. That God is showing that, you know, he doesn't just overlook sin. He doesn't just, uh, you know, blot sin out. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to be that perfect sacrifice so that we can have the righteousness of God in ourselves because we have put our faith and trust in him. He says, for the righteousness of God is revealed. And notice what he says. From faith, for faith, or, or from faith, to faith. And what I think he's talking about here when he talks about, you know, from faith to faith or from faith for faith, whichever way you, your translation says, I think he's talking about that, that faith that we put in the Lord Jesus Christ initially to, to convert us, to save our soul, is then the faith that we then develop into a living faith that we walk by day after day after day after day after day. 
that we're believing what God has said in his scriptures. We believe what God says in his precious book. We believe what God says in his word, and we seek to put that into practice in our day-to-day life because we want to live by faith. We want to please this one who has given everything for us. We want him to be happy with the way that we have lived our life. We want to be changed into his image. We want to be like him. And I think that's what he's talking about when he's talking about going uh, from faith to faith or from faith for faith, as it is written, and notice the phrase, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. And so if you're here today and you got saved at a, you know, an age of, uh, you know, three or five or six or something like that, and you can't remember what it was like before that, you can look at your life and say, wow, you know, but, but that's me. I, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I may have done something whenever I have, was little, but that has transpired, and that has uh, grown, and that has developed to, into a, an adult person who now wants to, to please God with my life, and, and I'm seeking to live by faith, and I believe the Word of God, and, and I'm trying to put that into practice in my life, and, and God is growing me, and God is changing me, and we say, whoa, glory, isn't it great to what God can do in our lives day by day? But maybe you're here this morning, and you were one of those ones that prayed a prayer when you were three or five or seven years old, and you don't see that kind of passion in your life. You don't see that excitement. You don't see that desire to to live the way God wants you to, to live. Maybe you're like my friend. Maybe you're looking back and saying, well, you know, I prayed a prayer back whenever I was, you know, three years old, and, and nothing's really changed since then. Whenever God is in a person's life, God is going to work. God is going to change. God's going to convict. God's going to encourage. God's going to comfort. God's going to do all the things that God does. But you have to have that faith in him. Assurance and conviction of what God said is true and acted upon by the believer. We respond to the directives that God gives us whenever he speaks to us through his word. Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. Nobody's looking around. In the quietness of this moment, Maybe you're here today and you don't have one of those days that you can look back at and know that Jesus changed you however many years ago. You're not sure you even have everlasting life. Well, that, that salvation that we've been talking about tonight, it's, it's open and available for everyone. All you have to do is call out to God and say, God, save my soul, put my faith and my trust in you. Maybe you're here, you're a, a person who has prayed a prayer whenever you're just a young person and, and yet there's no, no fruit in your life, no passion for the things of God. You come to church because it's uh, the thing to do, not because I love the Savior that we come to worship. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning and you just want to call out to God and say, God, save my soul. Is there anyone like that this morning? I just lift up your hand. I'd like to just pray for you. Ask God to help you to put your faith and trust in the living God. 
Amen. Anyone else? Our glorious and wonderful Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity we had to talk about the things of God and to talk about the glorious salvation that you have so richly supplied for us. We love you and we praise you for that. And God, we pray for this one who's in a moment of decision. We pray, God, that they could call out to you, seek your face, turn from their sin, and put their complete trust in the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. And that you, God, would do what you do when you come into people's lives, make them a new creature, change their life around, make them whole in you. And God, for all of us, we pray that you would help us in our walking by faith every day, that, Lord, there are so many things we need to grow and mature and develop in, and all of us have struggles and trials. Help us, God, to live that victorious Christian life. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.